You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Well, hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin. And today I'm very excited to introduce you to Lynn Hightower. She's the author of numerous thrillers, including the Sonora Blair and Lena Paget detective series. Her internationally best-selling novels have been included in the New York Times list of notable books, the London Times bestseller lists, the W.H. Smith Fresh Talent Awards, and the Seamus Award. Lynn teaches a master novel classes in uh, the UCLA Extension Writing Program and works as a manuscript consultant and a writing coach for novelists. Her latest novel, The Enlightenment Project, will be out tomorrow as we record this. Uh, tomorrow is March 1st. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Lynn Hightower. Thank you for having me. I am delighted to be here. Well, certainly delighted to have you. Um, but uh, I will uh, I will remind you that uh, Uncorking a Story is about the stories behind the story. So uh, we always want to dig into your story. Okay. Uh, so where, uh, Lynn, tell me, where does your story as an author begin? Well, when I was in the fifth grade, I ran out of books to read because I read very fast. I don't skim, I read every word, but I could read, you know, a novel a day easily and still hold down the day job. So uh, I started writing my own during uh, geography and history and math class. <laughs> and um, not surprisingly, the teacher uh, took it. And then she gave it back and said, this is awesome. And we're going to start a newspaper and let you do a serial story every week. And I was like, oh, okay. She said, you're also flunking geography. Would you please pay a little more attention? <laughs> so I, I, I pulled that up to a D and started writing short stories for our little newspaper. And I was off and running. Do you remember anything about the story you were writing in your geography class? Yes. What was it, what was it about? It was called Karen McDonald and the Mystery of the Haunted Castle. Ooh. Yes. And I left her. I left her hanging over a trap door and never went back to it. And I'm sure she's really getting impatient with me. By that. <laughs> I was going to say, do you, do you ever imagine that some of your ideas are, are like out there, like really, and they're just waiting for you to like, you know, come back to them? Interesting that you bring that up, because here's what I really honestly believe. The more I write, you know, particularly now, the more I feel like the story is an entity and it exists. And it's in a fog all around me and I'm pulling the threads, okay? Now that doesn't mean I can just throw any sloppy thing down on the page, but the the actual story and the characters and their journey, I mean, they feel very real to me. And it's kind of like, oh, okay, now and now what? And now what? No, wait a minute, that's not good enough. You're gonna have to back up and let's rethink. But you know, it does feel like that to me. It like it feels like a really very real entity that's been waiting on me to get on with it. <laughs> well, so so that's fifth grade. Um, <laughs> tell me, like, what? <laughs> 
<laughs> very accomplished by the time you're in fifth grade. It's very exciting. Um, what happens next? I mean, so you so you you kind of continue through you know grade school and and always writing or always writing, always telling um, mysteries, thrillers, scary paranormal stories. Um, in the seventh grade, I started writing uh, scary plays, and my teacher, for some reason, let me um, put them on for for the school, and I cast them and directed them and wrote them. Not too much ego, right? And then, um, and then I, at sixteen, I started uh, college at the University of Kentucky. And that sounds that sounds young for college. But it's not because when I was when I started first grade, I lived in Georgia, and if you were five by January the first, you could start first grade. And if you were four, you could start kindergarten. So I just started early and I skipped a year of high school, not because I'm smart, but because I added up all the credits. And I thought, if I don't take study hall, I can be out in three years. So that's what I did. Got it. I was impatient. <laughs> did you, I mean, it sounds like you, you like the scary stuff. Um, just yeah. that, that, that first story, you know, you know, Karen in the haunted house. Um, I I just, no, <laughs> castle. 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 Sorry. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. My bad. Okay. Um, What's your what's your fascination with with that? Oh, because there's such an unseen world all around us. And also, let's face it, um, it's just more interesting. Right. Is there something out there? And actually, I wound up living in a house that was incredibly haunted while I was writing The Piper, uh, which is a a very scary story about phone calls from the dead. Oh, is a thing. Okay, I ran across that. I didn't make that up. And a lot of times it's a very wonderful spiritual thing when you hear from somebody you love. But naturally, I had to twist it into something malevolent. And half the stuff I put in that novel was going on in the house, which I found absolutely terrifying. And, um, you know, we were going to buy it and we decided, yeah, no, I think we'll just move on out. How did you know, like, what were some of the signs that that there was a presence or, or a number of presences there? It was not subtle, all right? Sound asleep and in the middle of the night, the faucet of water turns on full blast in the bathroom. I wake up, my, um, my late husband woke up and he looked at me and he said, did you do that? I said, no, did you do that? He said, no, so I ran in and turned it off. I said, what are you doing? You can't go back to sleep. We need to run around in circles. And he said, but I have to be up at five. Good night. <laughs> He would just take it in stride. He was French. It was no good deal. Ghost would turn on the water. He needed to get some sleep. Um, lights going on and off. And the creepiest thing was a light would go on and I would sit up and say, stop it. Turn it off. Off. Been back on again. And I go, I said, stop it. And off. That was so freaky to me. Um, so yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, uh, is wonderful fodder for the novel you're writing, but as your daily life, not so much. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm saying I'm running out of that house. You know, I'm doing the mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm doing the I'm getting out of this place. This is nuts. The but lease was up. We packed up and every time I would pack and stack up a bunch of boxes, I would turn around and they'd all get knocked over. And I'd be like, I'm one day I sat down and I said, listen to me, I'm leaving with or without the boxes. So you just quit, you know, I don't know. It worked. <laughs> Did you ever get a backstory on that house? Did you ever do any research on it? No, I kind of wish I had. I went back and looked at it a couple of years ago. It was a beautiful little place and just the kind of cottage I love. And I looked at it and I thought, 
no, wrong. It feels so wrong to me. No nostalgia. Really glad I didn't buy it. And I was off. I will not go back. Yeah. Wow. 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 So it certainly give you some, some, some storylines or some, some color yeah. for, for the story though, huh? Yeah. If you don't have to make it up, of course, nobody <laughs> believes you, but you know, it was true. So when I was in college, I got to meet, um, Ed and Lorraine Warren, um, did you they well, are so interesting yes well i went to uh i live in connecticut this is where i'm recording this and um i went to the university of connecticut their son i believe went there as well so they would do a thing every year where they would put on a big a big show and you know kind of present you know it was a, it was a story you know story focused but scared the hell out of me i mean it was uh you know, and now, of course, all of those movies are coming out with. Oh, um, I love those movies. Those and are good. Those Conjuring movies and Annabelle, those are really well done. They're very well done. I love the stories. And but the idea that they would have a place in their house where they kept all those malevolent objects. Yeah. No, I would not do that. I would not <laughs> want it in my house. I know they've got the Annabelle doll in like a. Uh, you know, glass container. I'm like, uh-uh, no, this is no, no, thank no, you. Thank you. I, I'm no. not going to be you know, schlepping around the house in my sweatpants with Annabelle in the next room. Oh, no man. way. No, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm out. I'm out at that point. Um, <laughs> but very, I mean, certainly very interesting people and interesting, uh, interesting presentations. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when, when did your um, first book come out? When, when was your first publication? Gosh, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> uh, early nineties. Um, I had uh, I had written a book and it had gotten accepted and it was due to be published and then Random House uh, bought out the publishing and axed my whole, the whole line, including my book. So I was in a bad mood for a whole year. And I thought, all right, the next one's for me. You know, I'm gonna put everything in it I love. So I put in Homicide Cops, Aliens, Secret Tunnels, Ghosts, and I put it all in a book. And I sent it to my new agent who had another novel. <laughs> I just sent him six chapters and he sent it back and he said, oh, I love this. I'm gonna send it to the editor that has the book that's out. She called him two days later and she said, you know, Matt, I don't really like the novel you sent me of hers, but I love these six chapters. So I want a series. And I'm like, so he called me and he said, do you have any other ideas? And I said, sure. I'd lied. <laughs> he said, she'll call you in 15 minutes. And I thought, oh, thanks, 15 minutes. That gives me plenty of time to prepare. But, you know, we had a great conversation and I came up with some good ideas, I think. I don't really remember what I said. And that series was, series was born and it's, you know, near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Did, did you ever not write for a living or, or were you always, you know, sort of a professional author, writer in your adult life? Um, I always did some kind of writing. Yeah. I mean, didn't I support myself at it, but none of us do, right? <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's very up and down kind of thing, but yeah. Um, you know, I wrote television commercials for a local television station and I always had a novel on the go, no matter what. So yeah. 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 Um, so what, what, what was your day job? Was it a, as a copywriter or for commercials or? A, uh, yeah, I was a, I was, I was writing copy for television, local television. Commercial. Yeah. And I enjoyed it. I loved writing it because I wanted you to fall in love with the product and you got to be concise. You got to create an image. So it was actually really good training. Yeah. yeah. It's also cool to see your work on TV. I mean, right. I mean, that's. Uh... I would. Oh yeah. For the commercials. Yeah. It was very cool. I really liked it. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. 
Um, well, tell, let's, let's talk about this new book, The Enlightenment Project. What's um, can, can give give us the without giving it away, of course. Give us the uh, the high points. Okay, so so Mike, have you ever known anybody who was possessed? You know, uh, I had a sister in law um, uh, that my brother, <laughs> my twin brother, divorced. We're pretty sure that she had a demonic entity inside her, but there's no, <laughs> there's, there's no she proof. She doesn't want help. There's nothing you can do, right? There's, there's no proof that that's, that's, that was the case. <laughs> I've seen The Exorcist about a thousand and one times. Um, that, that's about mm-hmm. as close as I've got. And, and any kind of movies on exorcism, I've, I've always been sort of fascinated by as a, as a good Catholic boy. Um, well, yeah. And didn't that movie terrify you? Didn't the book terrify you? Oh my gosh. So the movie terrified me. And then, I mean, I had seen it so many times. It's like, it's like the movie airplane for me. Like I always find something funny to laugh at in airplane. Mm-hmm. Every time I see it, I always see something to be freaked out by in the exorcist every time I see it. Yeah. And I found the book pretty terrifying too. And, but I always wondered, you know, what does that though it was based on uh, on a true story but of course the the possessed child was male as a boy and i always wondered what happened to him and um i started thinking about well what do you do if you were possessed as a child i mean do you tell people you date do you tell your wife <laughs> okay and how do you deal with that trauma and do you worry about it ever coming back and that's when my character uh noah archer was born he's a neurologist and um he's actually a neurosurgeon not neurologist and um he keeps it a deep dark secret for two reasons one he he's really ashamed that he was vulnerable to it and he doesn't know why it happened to him and two he's afraid that if he gives it attention and thinks about it it'll bring it back Mm -hmm. and that's his big fears that it will come back so uh he does a research project called the enlightenment project where he stimulates neurons in your brain and brings enlightenment on demand and it's a huge success a lot of his patients are dealing with addictions and mental illness and chronic depression and it they have amazing results lots of them do and then some of them go the other way and have very dark results and um it kind of wakes up that entity that was haunting him and possessing him when he was a child. And, um, and what he finds out is, well, if you, if you show people, you know, the other side and the spiritual world and the dark and the light, my project is a success. Some people go with the light side and some people go with the dark side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like the force, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's like the force, (laughs) but you know, I'm curious just in terms of, um, exorcism, uh, what, what, what sort of captivates you about, about that topic? Like why, you know, what, what do you think about writing, including that as, as a key plot point here? You know, I, I was just kind of Googling around on it, wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And then I was just astounded at all the research I did. I had no idea it was so mainstream. You know, they're gonna be doing a half a million exorcisms in Italy this year alone. You know, the number of exorcism priests has just shot up. Um, exorcists are mainstream. They're on, they're on YouTube. You can, you can pull up YouTube and listen to them talk about exorcisms. And it's just like, it's become like matter of fact. And actually it's, 
it's always been hidden, but it's really nothing new. It's something every culture has had in, um, you know, in their worries and their, in their religions. And so now people are just bringing it out in the open and, um, you know, 50% of people in the U S believe in possession. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that sounds high to me. Um, and then the number of exorcisms in Italy sounds really high uh, because you know, you think- I was shocked, but did you know, do you know, you're familiar with M. Scott Peck who wrote The People oh, sure. of the Lie? Yeah. You know, he spent the last few years of his practice working with people who were possessed and doing exorcisms. I did that, not. That's new news to me. That blew me away. That really blew me away. Well, at the time he said that, you know, he was working with someone and he said, well, I thought they thought they were possessed, but I was just going to help them through that. Right. And then he became a full on believer and it was his hope that it would become a recognized psychiatric condition. And it has. Right. Now on the DSM. So, yeah, because you think like in modern, modern society, modern medicine, like this idea of, you know, some outside being force, you know, spirit coming in and possessing you, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're tempted to kind of explain that by, well, we know so much more about psychiatry now. We know so much more about sort of borderline personality disorders and multiple personality disorders and, you know, schizophrenia. Um, so that I think, you know, in, in my head, it's like modern society probably wants to lean on science for that, but there's, there is this you know, I believe anyway, there is this, you know, possibility that, you know, science can't explain, you know, what's, what's happening in, in these. In, and in that's, these. that's such a crucial point because you think, well, yeah, it's just some kind of mental condition. So I've been talking to some therapists and some psychiatrists about it. Cause I'm thinking, all right, the exorcist says that before we accept anybody for an exorcism, we run them through, you know, an evaluation by a psychiatrist. So I said, well, how would you evaluate that? How would you know it's not like dissociation disorder or schizophrenia or something like that? And they said, well, <laughs> you, you check the, there's a boxes, you check the boxes of the symptoms of what is or isn't working. And what the psychiatrist I talked to recently said, look, mental illness is from within, it's internal. And you can see the internal things that bring it out. She said something like that comes from without. Mm-hmm. It's external. And so that kind of, <laughs> <laughs> I found that fascinating though. Yeah. But I, I um, you know, I have a letter on my desk from a um, Southern California exorcism team. And um, what they told me is that the pandemic has really escalated the issue with a lot of people. And I like the point that they made was that, that he said, you know, these are good people, you know, these are not crazy people, dark people, but these are people of, of, of you know, good heart, good faith, and, um, and they need help. And they said, you know, only 5% are really possessed. And a lot of what they do is a ministry of healing and deliverance. And um, I had asked them if they wanted to do, you know, like a Zoom publicity thing with me. And they were, they said they were very tempted. And the team sat down and actually talked it out. But they said, we are barely keeping up with demand right now. And if we have, if we have a lot of publicity, we're never going to see the light of day on this. So thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Right. Right. Nice problem to have that for, for them, though. Um, 
Yeah, out of curiosity, like, you know, the, the role the pandemic is playing, um, obviously it's impacting mental health. Um, and I right. see that in certainly in young people. Um, you know, I have three 19 year olds at, at home and, um, you know, that's, that's, you know, in March, 2020, there, there were not good times in, in the Carlin household, <laughs> you know, they were finishing yeah, their senior year in, in yeah. high school and, and now they're cut off from, from everybody. So I, I could absolutely see where the mental health, um, but I'm curious as to like the rise in exorcisms, uh, due to the pandemic, what's, what's, what do you suppose that's all about? That's such a good question. I think that, um, I think, I think what it's really about is that more people are asking for help when they need it. I don't think this issue is new. I think people have been living with it, you know, quietly. I mean, who are you going to tell, right? <laughs> I would be pretty reluctant to tell anybody. But now that it's going more mainstream, now that they can Google it and they can go, oh, well, here's this priest on YouTube and he's talking about what he does and what the symptoms are and, and how I can be helped, then I just think the information is out there. You know, they set up an exorcism hotline in Milan where people just call in and they had so many calls that would just keep going down because they couldn't keep it up. It would just be overwhelmed. And they said, no, these are, most of these people are not possessed but they've got issues, they're worried and they wanna know, is this an issue? And so we can, um, we can help a lot of them, but only about 5%. Yeah. And you wanna know who the average, like the average classic possessed person is? Oh, I would love to know. Let me take a guess though. Um, let's mm -hmm. see, I'm gonna put my game show contestant hat on. Yes, please, I want you to guess. <laughs> I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna guess middle-aged women. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Anything else? Um, hmm. Mothers. Mm -hmm. um, another predictor could be a white collar background. Okay. Anything How far else? off am I? We've got the gender wrong. Up oh, there you go. Okay, we'll see. And here's where the information's coming from. Okay. Yeah. Um, sociologists are studying it now. They're studying why people believe and, and you know, how, what helps them. And um, they, they were, we had two Italian sociologists looking at the uh, notes kept by an exorcist for 10 years, just detailed notes of all his exorcisms. And here they came up with your classic one who's possessed. That's the 5%. Male, so you got your gender wrong. Male. Um, very highly educated, very successful in business, pretty wealthy, really, you know, moving and shaking in the world. And that is your classic possessed person. And usually those guys are in pretty deep and it takes a, a lot of exorcisms to, um, you know, heal them. They get relief with every exorcism and they get better and better, but some of them, it takes years. And of course, it's not like the movies where you do one exorcism and boom, it's gone. Um, it's, it's a gradual process of healing. Yeah, it's like therapy. Um, Very much so. But why do you suppose it, it's that group? I mean, are, are these, is this like your classic selling your soul to the devil type person or? It does make you wonder, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm picturing a bunch of hedge fund guys. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But wouldn't you also think that if you were from the dark side, that guys like that would be high value targets. Mm. 
you know, you can get one of those guys and cause them problem. You can cause a lot of trouble for a lot of people. That's, that's the way I think about it. I have to know, like, what are some of the signs, right? That um, something is, is possession, you know, versus like some, something else, like what, is there like a checklist? Like what's the. Dude, there is a checklist and it's pretty classic. And, um, and this is for the, the deeply possessed, not the people that are feeling oppressed or, or, um, you know, haunted, you know, most 80% are infestations of hauntedness that that's the trouble coming. So it comes from without, not within the person, which is kind of a relief. You can move. Um, okay. So, um, they have extraordinary strength. They know things that they couldn't possibly know. Like they can look at the exorcist and say, you know, this morning when you were having breakfast, you were really doubting this. You were really feeling that you didn't have the right to do this, et cetera. I mean, just things they couldn't possibly know, they know. Um, speaking languages that they couldn't possibly know, occasionally backward, mm-hmm. which is quite a feat. Um, uh, I, I, a huge and strong reaction aversion to any kind of religious uh, across holy water total freak out um just a malevolent anger and rage toward the exorcist and a lot of times their eye color changes when they're you know in the throes of of the possession and it it goes very their eye color goes yellow Mm -hmm. and um that that all adds up to something pretty weird looking. Oh yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, that's not your classic signs of schizophrenia. That's your classic <laughs> signs of, oh my gosh, this person is. You know, so what I'm really curious about um, is, you know, if if malevolent spirits can do this, right? If um, you know the the, I don't know, creatures from hell, like whatever we want, we want to characterize them as. Yeah. Can, is the opposite true? Can like an angel type character inhabit somebody? Yes. Um, so that I, I'm in, cause you don't really hear much about that, but now, now the writer in me is kind of turning like this, th- th- that could be interesting. Um, well, it's my address in the book actually. Oh, cool. Well, you know, and without giving anything away, um, <laughs> cause we don't want to do that, but what's, what, what's there that? Is, all about? There is, uh, it's just called an angelic possession. And, you know, what's the difference between an angelic and a demonic possession? Well, you know, what's the outcome? Are there good things happening with the angelic possession as opposed to dark, malevolent things happening? Um, The person is, there's always a smell of flowers, something very sweet and flowers when it happens. Um, And they're there to do good and to give wisdom and to give comfort which is the opposite uh and it's a peaceful possession but a powerful one mm-hmm. yeah i was shocked you know i don't know why the yin and the yang but when i found out about that i thought oh of course of course yeah yeah well that's uh that's fascinating that's fascinating to me yeah. um well we're going to pause talking about possessions for a moment um okay. <laughs> and uh maybe we'll come back i don't know um, but I have, I have a few like standard questions here that I always ask people and I always like to see what, uh, where this kind of takes us. Um, first would be, uh, kind of a softball question, favorite TV show or movie when you were a kid. 
oh, when I was a kid, when I was really little, I loved Mighty Mouse. Oh, because, my, here I come to save the day. Oh, how could you resist a heroic <laughs> mouse who sings opera? Because, you know, before I got my full height of five feet, I used to be terribly teeny, a little short. And so this mouse that had superpowers that could save the day and sing opera, I found that irresistible. No. So that was my first, uh, my first crush was Mighty Mouse. Oh, how about uh, <laughs> favorite TV show or movie of all time, regardless of age? Oh, my favorite movie is probably Witness. Oh, Harrison Ford. Yes, because I loved, I love the, the, I love the story delivery. You know, it hits the ground running. It's high stakes. It's dangerous. And then you've got that culture clash. You know, with this tough cop and the Amish, and um, and the love story, uh, and then um, the betrayal that the, the people that did it were cops he worked with and that were friends of his. What's not to love about Witness? That's yeah. just awesome. Absolutely yeah. my favorite, yeah. A good one, a good one. Great Harrison Ford, uh, you know, young Harrison Ford, right? Younger yeah. Harrison Ford. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was favorite cool. movie uh, about demonic possession. I guess we are getting back to uh, uh, possession. Favorite movie about demonic possession or favorite favorite movie or book? Okay, well, favorite movie about demonic possession, this, The Exorcist really scared me, but I also love the, um, you know, The Conjuring movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the first one was just really the best, I thought. but they were, they're all good. I just Yeah, totally, totally yeah. good. I liked, I really liked The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Um, Did you? Yeah. I, I thought that was a good one to me, because there was, there was a scene um, where, where he's awoken at 3 a.m. and... Um, you know, we, having, you know, as, as a kid, I learned, you know, 3 a.m. Uh, is the inverse of the time that Jesus supposedly died on the cross as, as 3 p.m. And that being the most unholy hour of, of the day. Um, yeah. I just always remember that. And that scene kind of kind of brought it home for me. And it, that that scared me just as much as anything, as much as any special effect in the movie, that scene scared um, did something to me. That's for sure. Well, that's kind of the time of day. I usually get around 4.30 to write because that's when the world is quiet, but it's also when the world is a little bit scary. Mm -hmm. And so considering the kind of things I write, it's perfect. But I have to tell you that it's really good to have a, um, have a German shepherd named Leah and she writes with me as she lays down and you know sleeps or watches over me. But I can't tell you several times I'd be writing some kind of scene and she would sit up and look over my shoulder and let go of this really low menacing growl and i'm thinking oh what do you see that i don't see? <laughs> this is terrifying you know good dog good dog <laughs> oh geez yeah no i have a a 15 year old golden retriever at home oh you do um, and she is you know she's she's getting close to we every time we think she's getting close she like bounces back good for her um but she like throughout the the course of an evening, she now sleeps downstairs because she can't make it upstairs anymore. Mm -hmm. Throughout the course of an evening, she will just bark randomly, and I'm like, I wonder is that senile barking or is he is she seeing some shit that <laughs> the rest of us? I don't, don't think see? it's random. I don't think it's random. No, you know, and I, I have to say that is the hour that sometimes Leah leaps up off the bed and starts barking fiercely and I'll look outside, but there's nothing out there. And she's like, trust me, there's nothing out there. <laughs> there's, there's, <laughs> some shit's going down that you're not aware of. 
Yes, but um, it's going down, babe. Yeah. Yeah. I always wonder, like, what's the motivation for, for these malevolent spirits? Like, or is it just pure evil to, to wreak havoc and, you know? Uh, wreak, wreak havoc, um, oppress you, depress you, make you miserable in the world. You know, it's kind of like a spread of misery, like an infection. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Gosh. I know. Well, right. It really does remind me of my brother's ex-wife. Um, <laughs> question number three, um, how do you feel when you're staring at a blank piece of paper or a blank computer screen, depending on how you write, uh, with the intention of writing something? Well, I write my first draft by hand. Um, and I usually, you know, if I have a blank piece of paper and I have no words in my head, then I'll probably play solitaire to get me into the zone. But most of the time now, I, I have the words in my head and I'm just ready to sit down and just start writing them on the page. So um, that's nice. So I feel pretty good. It's like, okay, let me get it down in my handwriting. Oh, the worst is my handwriting is terrible. So I'm <laughs> keying it in, you know, later. I'm like, man, I know that was a good section and I just cannot decipher anything that I wrote, you know? No, the, the struggle is real. I got straight, you know, unsatisfactories in handwriting from the nuns in the school that I went to as a kid. <laughs> not, penmanship was not my, my, my twin brother, beautiful, beautiful writing. Really? Uh, me, forget about it. My son, beautiful writing. One of my daughters, eh, it's like chicken scratch, as my mother would say. But it, there's a creative loop, you know, between writing by hand and um, your, your neural, it's art in the body, as Wendell Berry would tell you. Um, and anybody that's writing, if you, I, I, you know, I respect your process, but I would give it a try because my work that I first draft on, on the page is always much better. It goes faster even though it's illegible and um it's just better work so i would give it a try yeah good uh, good well that's a um uh that could lead into our next question which is what's the best piece of advice you would give to an aspiring author um you know i have a lot of advice for aspiring authors the um one one is if you tell the story you wish someone would tell you the kind of story you would just love to curl up with and read um you know, readers will forgive you anything if you deliver on Once Upon a Time. I really believe that. Mm -hmm. Second, give yourself permission to be a novelist. This is work of your heart. It's what you really want to do. And it's not for the cool kids or for the special people. If you have a story, no, really, if you have a story to tell, go ahead and tell it and, and get it down as best you can. And then, you know, it's a brutal business. Not every novel that should be published is published. So the only way to keep yourself sane is to do everything you can, but just accept that your story is going to find its place in the universe and send it out there and hope that it finds its way into the hands of anybody that would like to read it. That's how I survive. Yeah. I mean, brutal is, uh, is, a, is a, I think, a good, a good adjective to use there because just it from... Is. You know, the time, all the time you put in to, to write something, then to find an agent, the right editor, the publisher, do everything you need to do to promote it. You know, it's not, it's not, um, it's not for the faint of heart. It's not, but I separate the business side 
from the creative side, okay? And, um, you know, I take pleasure from the work. I like telling the story. I have created this entity that was already out there and wanted me to get it down on the page. Um, so there's great satisfaction in that. And of course, we want to lots of books and get it out. But, you know, part of that is because I want to talk to the people that might like to read it. And they're all readers like me. But I also think one reason we read and one reason we write is so we're not so alone in the world. You know, if, if my character can handle possessions and the demonic and keep his family safe and create enlightenment on the man and survive at the end of the day, you can too. Yeah. Well, to, to that, I mean, is there any um, lesson about writing um, or even publishing that you feel like you had to learn the hard way? Everything I had to learn the hard way. Everything. Um, and um, that's why I work with writers, because I'm telling them, look, what I'm going to tell you isn't rocket science. It took me years to figure it out. Let me give it to you in five minutes. And they're like, really? Okay, let me take a note, you know? And I mean, but that's okay. It, you know, it's just part of your process. Um, but um, here's one. Be very careful who you listen to. There are a lot of people, good people, smart people who aren't actually novelists. Um, and they might give you really good advice, but sometimes it comes from the outside in because they're not actually doing it. So you would listen to what they say doesn't work about a story, but you might not listen to how they say to fix it. And so if you get advice or notes and you're not sure about it, instead of roaming the internet and Googling the subject and making yourself crazy, sit down and write a test scene, write it both ways, your way, their way. That's one afternoon. And you will know as soon as you've written both, oh, this is the one that works. So trust your instincts on that. But instead of agonizing and trying to find out what the right way is, write it both ways and you'll know. There you go. That's yeah. a great advice. Great advice. Um, and speaking of you advice. How long it took me to figure that out? It's just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> now you know in three minutes. <laughs> now you know. The more you know. Yeah. Um, but speaking of advice, if you could write a letter to your younger self, you know, maybe it's that, that fifth grader who was, you know, not studying geography when she should have been <laughs> right. Not doing the math homework, uh, -huh. uh, writing about the haunted castle. Um, yeah. if you could write a letter to that younger, you know, younger you, Lynn, um, what are some of the things you would tell your younger self? Okay. I would say, don't hesitate. I would say your best decisions are always made through your gut instinct. So don't let your brain talk you into or out of things. Go with your instinct. That's always going to be your best decision. And then I would say, you know, the only thing that really matters in the world, you know, because life is going to come at you with really good things and really bad things, right? So the only thing that really matters in the world is who you love. So love them well. There you go. Tell me. Mm -hmm. Wow. Love them well. Love them well. Mm -hmm. that's, that's great. Uh, that's very, very inspiring. I don't know. I feel like I kind of got a lump in my uh, throat on that one. Thank you. Um, well, the Enlightenment Project comes out as we're recording this tomorrow, March 1st. Where can people buy the book, Lynn? Anywhere. You can go on my website and find links, but the links are going to be indie bookstores, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Truly, wherever books are sold, you're going to find it. All right. And if people wanted to go to that website or follow you on social media, where, uh, where do they go to do that? LynnHightower.com. 
There you go. Um, and uh, actually speak for a moment. I know you, you also do um, sort of manuscript consulting, um, mm -hmm. coaching for, for you know, authors. Mm -hmm. um, same place to go to, to learn about yeah. those? Um, yeah, there's actually a contact form. And it, you know, I'm just going to ask you some quick questions like, you know, what do you really want with your book? What's your vision? What's your, what are your writing worries? Because every time I write a book and I get stuck on things, I keep a worry list. So I can go back to it later and keep on writing. So what's your worries, you know, and tell me all of that. And then let me get back to you and we'll figure something out. Yeah. Very good. All right. Well, Lynn, it was a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, I thank you for your time and, and wish you uh, great success for, uh, for the Enlightenment Project. Much appreciated. Thank you, Mike.